0: from wbne
1: howdy yokes! before we get started today i just want to let you know this episode of bacon and eggs is brought to you by baron fig there's a link in the description to get all of your pens and journals and writing base needs and i'll tell you more about that later in the episode anyway here's an episode Howdy, yokes, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs. I'm Tyler Carlin. I'm Ethan Edgehill. And today we're making our fortune. Or maybe we're just getting in a gunfight. So tell him I'm coming. And
0: hell's coming with me.
1: Because today we're bringing you Tombstone. And that is not Tyler Carlin today. My Tyler Carlin replacement is James Swindell of being one of my best friends for always. Hi, James. How are you, buddy? It's so great to have you back on the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thank you for the invitation to you and to, to Tyler. I know that he's Absolutely. Uh, happily on paternity leave right now, but um, I'm happy to fill in. There's some very big shoes to fill.
1: Yeah, it, they, he does have he does have big feet and big yeah. hands, and he, he's, a, he's a big presence for sure. We're getting by likes- without him.
0: He always likes to tell me like how short I am. He's like, I thought you were taller. Like, no, I'm an average human being.
1: He's known me basically my whole life and knows that I'm short and loves to keep telling me that. So yeah,
0: I think that bleeds into our friendship, too. A little bit, a little bit.
1: Anyway, uh, this movie was directed by George Cosmetos, and we'll talk more about that later on. Uh, it came out Christmas Day, December 25th, 1993, which was nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine days ago, which is wild. Uh, This is the second week in a row we're doing a movie that came out on Christmas, which is also wild, and uh, it had a $25 million budget, made $56 million worldwide, got a 74% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 94% audience rating, and a 50 on Metacritic. Jesus. James, do you have a positive review of this movie for me from a professional movie critic?
0: I do. I need to wait for my phone to unlock and get... On the right screen here. You're Um, good. So this is from Time Out, but it has like, it's a top critic, but no one is listed as like saying the thing.
1: I'm guessing that means that the whoever wrote it got fired.
0: Uh, Well, it's maybe. Well, but uh, I do agree with their positive uh, description of the film. It's a there's a misguided romantic subplot and the ending rather sprawls, but mostly this is rootin' tootin' entertainment.
1: That is rootin' tootin' entertainment. That is that is wonderful. Uh, I have a negative review here from Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader, and Jonathan says, a lot of care and attention were obviously devoted to selecting locations, designing sets, and grooming handle or mustaches. Much less attention went to making one believe that any of the events took place circa 1879. Cool. Um, I don't think he's 100% right or wrong about that, honestly, but I don't Truly think it matters. We'll we'll get into that as we go on. Uh, I've got a, a listener review, review here from from Ali from Discord, who says, my mom introduced me to this movie few years back, and I've loved it ever since. I like how the actors don't really pull me out of it. They play their characters in a really believable way. This is, in my opinion, the best Western.
0: Like the, the hotel,
1: like the hotel. Yes, just just like the hotel. chain. This is, in my opinion, Howard Johnson's.
0: This, this is the, the, the best hotel and pizza combination. This is
1: the quality in of movies. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm going to give you a uh, a as well not a listener review, but a, a personal review from from my past life uh, in which one time me and my family were watching this movie and my dad looked at my mom and said, you know, Linda, this movie doesn't suck as much as I thought it was going to. Was this his first time seeing it? No, certainly not his first time seeing it. He just, he's a big fan of the older Westerns. Uh, Oh
0: yeah. I think if he was,
1: if he was going to watch a movie about, about Wyatt or Doc Holliday, he'd probably watch the Henry Fonda one, uh, my darling Clementine
0: from Mm -hmm. back in like
1: 45 or whatever. Um, James zero out of a hundred, where does this movie land for you?
0: I mean, I, I thought a lot about this. I was going to be like, I was going to try to give it some sort of critical, like put it under a critical lens and to, like, think about it and dissect it. And I said, no, I don't care. This is my absolute favorite movie. It's a 100 out of 100 for me. I, I Wild. I, I And the only reason why I say that is because I look at it, it is imperfect, but it is beautiful. It's amazing. It's quotable. The cast is amazing. So I I will give it a 100 out of, out of 100 because it has a special place in my heart. And in my life, obviously.
1: Clearly. Uh, for those of you not watching the video, James is currently surrounded by uh, Pops from this, Funko Pops from this movie, as well as a a copy of the movie, the director's cut edition of the movie that he's missing the set, the first disc of.
0: Yeah, I went to go watch the movie last night and I was like, wait, does my PS4 play DVDs? Which, yes, it does. Uh, but then all of a sudden, uh, I open up the sleeve, I open up the where the disc is supposed to be, and it's not there. So it's either in... A DVD player somewhere, or it's lost forever. It's
1: long gone. <laughs> long gone. So I am. I am. uh On behalf of of my late mother, of whom this was one of her favorite all time movies, I am also going to give this a one hundred out of one hundred. Yes, which Love is this. I did not. I did not expect you to say one hundred. I, I like. I came in with this plan, and I did not expect you to say one hundred. This movie rocks, y'all. Like, I, there is nothing wrong with this movie. <laughs>
0: there, there are things that I notice in the movie that I'm like, oh, that's kind of messed up, or, oh, what? <laughs> but it's like, so good, though. Like, I, I can sit down and pick it up at any point of the movie, watch it. I I annoy everyone in the room, uh, unless it's my parents, because right. I, it, you can quote the movie at, at any point. It's, it's amazing.
1: Right. Absolutely. One of one of the all time most quotable movies. I mean, just they just keep saying great things, right? Like, and this movie is crazy. You were telling me before we started. So I want to come back to that conversation about George, George Cosmatos, uh the the auspicious director of this movie.
0: Yeah. Um. So, so I was I was doing some light reading on like Wikipedia and IMDb, and I usually try to branch out from there if I'm if I'm looking for more specific things. Um, but uh, according to the trivia on International Movie Database, it says that Cosmato's was brought in late because the screenwriter was also the director, uh, and that he was fired from the project. I forget the reason why, but Cosmato's was brought in on a suggestion of Sylvester Stallone of all people because he had just directed uh, Rambo Last Blood Part Two, So that's the second installment of the, of the Rambo series. And he came in as a suggestion, but also it was stated that Kurt Russell was actually directing most of the film while they were still absent a director. So apparently he's just a shadow director, but it also talks about, um, the trivia also talks about like movies like uh, My Dearest Clementine, um, that he found inspiration from a lot of the early, you know, 1940s, 50s uh, Westerns that he then drew inspiration from in order to complete the film. Uh, apparently the original screenplay was uh, like a, a novel. Like it was, it was meant to build out this entire world about the herps and the people around them. And what it turned into was a much slimmer movie where Literally in the beginning, you're like, that's this person and that's this person and that's this person. And we don't care anything about what that person does or is other than what their purpose is in the scene, Um, which is not a bad thing. I I didn't find myself caring about, you know, Trolley Dake or I forget his name, but, you know, random people within the script. I just like, oh, we got introduced to them. That's lovely. Now let's continue with the story.
1: So I do want to... I do want to just actually – I'm I'm just going to straight up read this off the Wikipedia page because it does kind of back up what you were saying. If you look under the, the section on Wikipedia that says production, uh, it reads, The film was shot primarily on location in Arizona, began shooting May 1993. The film was supposed to be screenwriter Kevin Jari, Kevin Jairs. First job as director, he was quickly overwhelmed by the job, failing to get needed shots, falling behind shooting schedule. A month into filming, he was fired by producer Andrew Vanya and replaced with George P. Cosmatos. Uh, Michael Bain, a close friend of Jer, considered quitting. Bain recalled feeling director Cosmatos had no understanding or appreciation of the screenplay. By the time of Cosmatos' arrival, though, all actors stayed on board. The new director brought in demanding, hard-nosed sensibility to the set, which led to some conflicts with the crew members, most famously cinematographer William Fraker. Uh, Meanwhile, Kurt Russell worked quickly with producer James Jax to pare down Jer's sprawling script, deleting subplots and emphasizing the relationship between Wyatt and Doc. Russell has stated that he, and not Cosmatos, who actually directed the film, as Jair's departure led to the studio's request. Russell stated that Cosmatos was brought in as a ghost director because yeah. Russell did not want it to be known that he was directing. Co-star Val Kilmer has supported Russell's statements about working heavily behind the scenes and stating Russell essentially directed the film. That's crazy. I I. Th- this ended up being good out of all of that. It, it Not only was it good, but
0: it's turned into this cult classic that, like... Can you imagine a, a film today that would have a nobody director, you know, nobody to us at least, right? A nobody, Amer- like uh, American film with a nobody director, an ensemble cast that, like, I don't know, 30, 30 years later just completely slaps. Yeah. Like, I, I, I I, I can't imagine in, in an environment today where that would be the case. Now, you people in the Discord may, you know, start throwing out examples, and that's cool. I'm happy I'm happy to, to hear about them just to, so I can draw comparisons. Sure. But I, I cannot imagine that being the case today. I really can't. No, I mean, like, yeah, movies... Love Actually? I mean, but even then, that's not an American film. Yeah,
1: no, for sure. Um. Oh, and, and, like, you don't get... Uh, (laughs) you don't get Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott. Well, you don't get Bill Paxton at all anymore, but you don't get the four of them in a movie together with a nobody director, right? Like even, and it would be nobody's directing debut for sure. It wouldn't be like, oh, this is the screenwriter. We're going to just give him the reins. no, we need to bring Joss Whedon in.
0: Yeah. We need Joss Whedon to finish this film and then we're going to have, you know, 24 months of. Uh, bad reporting and bad relationships and, and reshoots
1: and making making actors uncomfortable uh, to the point yeah. where the original director, who's also a piece of crap, needs to be- come in and make his own version. Uh, yeah, uh, release uh, the I, Kevin Chair cut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> release it. Release it now. We need a campaign. We're going to start it here today.
1: Oh, uh, Kurt Kurt Russell would come kill us. That's that's just what would happen.
0: I mean, he's hey hey. We would have called down the thunder.
1: That's for sure. Um, No, the story in this movie is incredible. The acting is incredible. The cinematography is incredible. Like this is just, this is I think probably, probably the last like great western that will maybe ever be made in the traditional sense. I don't know. I mean, like True Grit,
0: um, the 2010 remake of the original John Wayne film on. Mint, a couple of lists I, I was looking at Best Westerns of it's all time. Ve- it's
1: very good, but it is and a it, a remake and B very Hollywood. Like, but it was also
0: very good. I mean, sure. I mean, that, and it was filled with people that I mean, Matt Damon, very, Josh yeah. Brolin, uh, uh, who played who played Scooter? What was his name? Uh, oh, oh, Jeff Bridges. Um, yeah, Haley Steinfeld. Made, Brewster, not you know. Scooter. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, I knew it was something random. Yeah. Rooster Cogburn.
1: Yes, true grit. Right. Um and I and I truly think that that is the last great western that'll ever be made. For, at least for a long time. Um sure. I mean, I saw on one list I saw Deadwood the movie.
0: So the the movie that was later uh based uh, off the series. Uh, I saw was was um on a top, a list of top Westerns somewhere. And I guess that's sort of that that's an original one too. And yeah. I mean, I would even I would even, I would even bring Westworld in that conversation only because it elicits so much of sure. like the, of the genre of the Western sure. of Western films. But uh, I, I think you're right. Like I think, um, and especially something like this, that's so sort of entertaining and, and not,
1: and it's not campy. Like this movie isn't entertaining and but campy. It's campy enough though. It's not like, it's not, it never feels polished. Right, it never feels, it never feels like it's a game. It never feels like there, it's it's a play. Right, like having Matt Damon in True Grit is a money sell. Right, it never this movie never feels that way.
0: Right, no, I I agree. It's it's not polished in the sense that it's like uh, overly um, polished for Hollywood and to be able to sell it. I mean, this movie was released at Christmas, and many people believe or at least I read people believe that it was lost in the Hollywood, Hollywood shuffle of like Christmas time. So like the Christmas time, you know, release sort of gave it a bad start, but it did, it did make more money the next week. Um, So we know that it was something, and I think Siskel and Ebert, I think one of them didn't like it and the other did. I read that on the the, uh, Ebert website and they said, I think it was Ebert that said, you know, when you hear it once or twice from someone, it's like, okay. Uh, It's like a sort of, and by the time you start hearing it a week and two weeks afterwards, you know, it's a trend and like, oh, now I actually have to see this. They were never going to review the film. Right. And then because it got this word of mouth, um, uh, you know, marketing, you know, the marketing of word of mouth is so powerful because it got that, you know, powerful play from people, um, mainly because of the the performances of Val Kilmer and, yeah. and Kurt Russell. That was what sold it to people.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, as the tuberculosis victim, as the gunfighter, as the Southern gentleman, is like one of the all-time great performances. Absolutely. But not the dentist. He was a dentist in real life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. He was, a, he was a dentist in his
0: early life before tuberculosis forced him to move out west. So I thought that was, I thought, I, and what's funny is that I didn't know that there was this old um, version of who wants to be a millionaire for like the computer back in the like compact days where your yeah. computer was as big as your, yeah. your table. And it was like one of the like $100 questions was like, you know, what was Doc Holliday's profession or whatever. Right. And, uh, I had no idea it was he was a dentist, and I came to learn that he was a dentist. So that's kind of fascinating. <laughs>
1: Being a dentist back then had to have been wild.
0: And he went to school in Pennsylvania, even though he was from
1: Georgia. So this thing got like around, that, yeah. Yeah, and then he ended up out west. Yeah. Th- well, I mean, funny, obviously, he ended up out west because of the tuberculosis. But but what's funny about
0: this is that westerns are often are often based on characters that are are real, real people, uh, and the folklore that's created around their sort of, their persona, right? right? And so a lot of the details in this movie, and I'm sure in other Westerns as well, are sort of dramatized or changed to fit the narrative. Like, for example, in this film, um, are we allowed to talk about spoilers right now? Yes, yes, go for it. Okay, so uh, for instance, in the movie, uh, Virgil is shot in the arm and then Morgan is then shot later that night. When in real life, those events happen months late, like apart. Right. So, or for instance, uh, it's not believed that Doc Holliday was the one that killed Johnny Ringo. Um, they're not entirely sure who killed Johnny Ringo. In fact, he, he was shot in the temple, like he was portrayed in the film. And the exit wound was the back of his head. Sure. But um, he was found... Debt, no one saw it happen. right. So it can't you we can't confirm who actually did it. But what I do also love about this film is that they try to make the historical accuracies um, make some details historically accurate, excuse me. So for example, um, the fight at the ok Corral, the gunfight at the ok Corral there was a gunfight there, but it was near the okay Corral. It wasn't at the okay crowd, right. several, you know, several you know, clicks down the lane, so to speak. Um, uh, or at the end of that gunfight where, um, I forget the character who, who's going up against doc Holliday. He says, I've got you now, you son of a bitch. And doc Holliday says, you're a daisy. If you do, that was actually reported as yeah, something that thing actually that, yeah. was said at that gunfight. Um, so it, it was really interesting to sort of read up on this before, which I hadn't done. I just watched this ad nauseum, um, but to sort of see, you know, where, um, where those things were reflected, you know, in, in fact, and and what happened and then the things that didn't.
1: Right. And, th- and that's, what's so fascinating about, um, about this story, especially about the, the Wyatt Earp, the Doc Holliday, the whole thing is that it's, it's a lot more recent than some of these other Western stories. And like, it takes place in a much later version of the wild West than we know, right? Like they're in fully out in Arizona and California and like Los Angeles, San Francisco are places. And you know, they're not fighting in Dodge city, Kansas, you know, it it moved further West and it moved into different problems and different uh, booms, and different boom towns and different gold rushes and railroads and all this other stuff. Like, it's a much more recent thing and a lot more is like known about them. And there's like photographs of them and stuff because yeah, they and lived during the, the, the Matthew Brady era and all that.
0: And it wasn't like on the heels of the civil war. Like right. I think that's when we think about that westward expansion, we're also thinking about conflicts that are still unresolved or new conflicts that arose from right. the civil war. Um, and we don't see any of the, you know, gray and blue uniforms. We just see, no. We just see the the main conflicts between Western cowboys who were lawless didn't care for authority and you know these you know deputies whether they were at the town level or the United, you know federal level um, and they oftentimes came you know came to blows with each other because the cowboys were really did outnumber you know yeah. authority in these towns because absolutely because everything was so spread out. And not just physically, but then that meant that these people were spread
1: thin to, you know,
0: patrol, police, these communities that are so far apart.
1: Absolutely. And, well, the thing is, like, I have no idea where I was going with that, man. That that train of thought, like, jumped in the station and then dipped completely. That was so weird. (laughs) Hang on. Let me see if I can bring that one back. That's okay. But you talked about trains. And, in fact, every everything
0: that has a train in it has to be your favorite.
1: That's true. Yeah, it does. Uh, this movie does have a train in it.
0: So it it definitely gets
1: points for that one.
0: It does. It does have points for a train. And apparently I read this in the, in the, the IMDb, uh, trivia too. It's that Mm -hmm. they left on the same train that they came in on. Really? So uh, yeah, it has the same number, and apparently the number is like uh, uh, like a clinical code for someone who's going crazy. So like they attribute that to Wyatt going crazy on uh, on Ike Clinton. Yeah, you know, in the scene where he says that he's calling down the thunder. Well, you got it. Um, I I think that's kind of a stretch. I think that's sort of editorialized, but um, but nonetheless, like I think that is probably one of the more iconic scenes of this movie um, because. You know, and it's connected from the beginning. That's the entire, you know, the entire premise is that there's a, a, a horse and on him rode death. And that would be Wyatt Earp and, you know, the reckoning with the Cowboys, which was a real vendetta. Like, he yeah. got his 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 brother was killed and a, a real person... <laughs> Went out and uh and and killed cowboys to to get back for his brother being yeah. being killed. It's it's wild. It's actually wild.
1: I, right. And and this these people were just here to like mine their silver and you know mine their business. And they got caught up in all this. Which is garbage. I mean the Wild West seems like it sucked, man. I love Westerns. I love Westerns so much. I never get tired of them. Like every time Everybody's like, you know, I'd love to go to Hogwarts and like live in the Harry Potter universe. I would never want to go to the Wild West, man. Like, unless it was like Westworld and I could just not die. But I've seen Westworld and it doesn't go well.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's just like the the one instance, right? Well, I guess the two instances, if you want to talk about the man in black and then ultimately the end of season one. But um, no, I mean, like, I think that's one thing that was really clever about Westworld was that they were able to capture the chaos and able to market that to people in a way yeah. um, that was um, like re- that really real from what you see in these movies. Right. And, yeah. and, and we see that we are supposed to see that in this film when uh, Virgil, Morgan and Wyatt are having that conversation about, you know, how much, you know, maybe they can go into uh, business for their own. They can do this. They can do that. Uh, and the town, I think the mayor of the town comes in and uh, says, you know, you're a lawman. Why don't you help? And he's like, I'm busy. Right. You know, they don't want to get involved. And the scene directly after that, where uh, the cowboys run through with guns a and almost run this kid over and they could see the terror on people's faces. That's exactly the thing that they were trying to, yeah. excuse me, set up and show was that these You know, these towns, while they were uh, filled with opportunity, while they were, you know, expansion and, you know, there's limitless possibilities, uh, also came with its risks. And its risks were, you know, lawless vigilantes, so to speak, who didn't care for, you know, the rules of uh, society that was trying to, you know, build out West.
1: Well, and you know, Westworld was originally a, a Michael Crichton vehicle, right? Like the Jurassic Park guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he wrote funny, directed the first movie, the original movie, which like funny way enough, before Jurassic Park.
0: Funny enough, yeah. Actually, so um, I, I've looked into him a lot because I recently um, watched a lot of ER, uh, yeah. which is also which is also hit one of his creations. Yep. Um, and so to see sort of where his fingerprints are are such such an amazing timeline of like of cinematic and like television like impacts like on our lives. So Jurassic Park, Westworld, which has sort of been revived and now living a, a new life on HBO. Um, but speaking of, of Michael Crichton, like uh, Jurassic Park was actually the top film of 1993, top yep. highest grossing film in 1993. Yep. Made a lot and, of money. <laughs> right. And I, to me, I, what I love about this film is that like it's, it's modern enough to where you have to think, okay, like, what, was, what can we compare it to? Like, what are we comparing it to? Or what, what did it come out along with, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, The Sandlot. Like, these are – Hocus Pocus even came out that year. Um, these are all movies that are like
1: – The fact that still- The Sandlot was not made in the 80s is shocking to me, honestly. Nineteen ninety three. I would have thought for was, sure that was an eighties movie, right? With the it Goonies, it was
0: on that list. But the the Sandlot, Hocus Pocus. I mean, like all of these things, whether it's a, a children's film or whether it's like a, a, a cult classic like this, or even just a classic film like Jurassic Park, are, are all still huge contributors to popular culture today. Right. Mrs. Doubtfire, even. I mean, I, I know that Mrs. Doubtfire is starting to become a little dated as far as sure. like some yeah. of the tropes that it's that yeah. um that are in the film. But like to see a lot of these films still sort of hold up today, it's what, two, it's 1993, so it's 2021. I mean, that's it
1: was a long time ago. Yeah, it was 28 um, years almost this movie came out, 27 and a I, half years. I'm glad you did math because I was having James, a hard time doing it. In the I moment. was born this. I was born in 1993, James. I don't have to do that's, math. I just know how old I am. That that's good. That's good. I can never keep
0: up with people's individual ages. I can always keep up with their uh, with their birth dates. I just have to write it down. Like even today, yeah. my sisters, both of my sisters, I have their their the date, not the date that they were born, but the month and the the year that they were born, because everyone asks how old are your sisters. Well, they're old enough to wear. They're not close to me. They're at least 15, right. 20 years older than I am. So I have to always refer back to uh to a number. But sure. uh but yeah, you were just saying that before this, the before we started recording
1: that ninety-three was was yes, what the year that I you was, were born. I was like three months old when Jurassic Park came out.
0: That's crazy. I mean, I was three. By by the time this movie came out, I was three. I was born in September, so of ninety. So I was three years old. I, there's no way I remember this film. I think the first film that I have uh, an early remembrance of was Toy Story Um, and the Goosey movie. Those were two movies I I explicitly remember, but also like Bill Paxton was in, was in uh, Twister, which I remember. um, I remember seeing a lot of like commercials for when I was a kid. So it's not like I don't remember these actors. But I do remember, I, I never remember watching this film until much later, probably when I was in college with, you know, when, when we were, you know, f- you know, first introduced. Right. Um, and it's funny, too, because like everyone that you talk to, if it's not your parents. So you, me, and I believe Allie, the the listener that uh, you yeah. read her review, everyone was introduced to this film by their parents. Yeah. So I can't think of many other people unless your parents, Well, J-
1: James, it's, it's, it's an R rated gunfight like, movie. Oh, it wasn't like, like Toy Story where people were watching it in the theaters when they were kids. Right. Like they're introduced to it by their that's, parents I guess because that's a fair point. like that's when it came out. Right. Like now there are there are people that are old enough at this. It's old enough at this point that there are people that could be like, I just want to watch a Western and they'll put on Tombstone. Right. Like and that's the first time I've seen it.
0: Although I love um, when I, I rented the film last night on on Amazon because my disc was missing, um, it said that it was uh, a number a number one bestseller in romance. Really, I, which I find <laughs> oh, to be really now fantastic because like the romantic subplot is like the like jankiest part of this whole movie. Um, it, it, like it's it has like no sort of seriousness to it. No, not at all. Other, other than like the like, uh, it's like the high schooler who comes into the room and gets nervous around the girl that he likes, and then runs away uh, up until the the moment he finally asks the girl out to prom or whatever. Sure, but but like that's I I cannot believe that a, a movie like this would be listed number one in romance.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. <laughs> But I mean, I guess those things, it's not like they're surveying people and being like, why did you watch Tombstone? Right. It's just like, it's a successful movie that has the romance tag attached to it somehow. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like,
0: yeah, I, I cannot for the life of me, understand why, but like you know, like it's not a bestseller
1: end- in romance because of its romantic subplot. It has a romantic subplot and happens to spell, sell well. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Like, therefore, it you know th- those th- it's causation not or, uh, I mean correlation not causation right like
0: right and it has that tag and it sells well right therefore right, because it's like, the, okay. they'll tag
1: anything they can romance basically it's like if people you know fall in love in it or whatever then it's romance
0: right yeah. And they they do. I mean, like in real life, Wyatt Earp and Josephine Marcus uh, were c- common law married. They weren't actually yeah. married. Um, and it's the same thing with uh, with Maddie Blaylock. Apparently, she or her her name was Maddie Earp, and she was listed in 1880 census as married to Wyatt Earp. But there's no. I, I don't think there's no real conclusive evidence to suggest that they were actually married. Just like in the movie,
1: right? Where she's just around and she just kind of sucks and then he falls in love with somebody else, then it's Uh-oh. complicated. i got a dog
0: barking on my We're side. Good. We're good. You're good. Um, so what I, what I also enjoy about this movie is, um, like, so the first half of it is really solid. It's like tightly knit. It moves really well. And then like I read in the, um, in the, the, the positive review, it kind of sprawls at the end. Sure. And I, I think you can start seeing where um, the the script sort of breaks down as far as um, sort of the continuity of it and to try right. to condense it in a way that moves the plot toward the end of the film, or at least to where they wanted it to go. Um, well, it's, I was, a, I was,
1: it's a very straightforward movie where like A happens, and then B happens and then C happens and then D happens. And then, for some reason, Curly Bill walks out in the street and shoots his gun at the moon because he's high. Because he's high, and then, and then it's it's compl- It's anybody's guess from there on out, right? Like that's the moment where they were like, you know what? Screw a script. We're just going to do it. Full send. Yeah, it's it's and, and you can see. I mean, like, I
0: this is when I was watching it last night. I was like, what? What I really think this movie could do, use is the like the modern day streaming treatment where you can then expand on some of these ideas or, or just turn into a mini series. I mean, like it right. doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be like, you know, picked up by Netflix for four or five seasons. It could be like a two see you know, season miniseries If you really wanted it to, um, if you didn't want it to get too crazy, but like, I feel like it, it could use that sort of treatment because that was the intent, the intention behind creating a movie like this.
1: Well, and and I do think it's so interesting as a movie, and this is why I think that it it maintains its cult classic status. Classic status is because it does meander and it is crazy and it doesn't always make sense. Right? It's not it's not perfect and put together the way you're something like True Grit or Brokeback Mountain or or those those modern movies are that are just trying to be very emulative of the original westerns. This has it's it's that fifty percent marriage between you know, your your high noon, your Gary Cooper, Ward Bond type movies, and and your, your Clint Eastwood spaghetti Western movies. It's like it's right in the middle of those where you have these things that don't make sense. And it's kind of dark and almost a little bit scary. And like people just die left and right, but like not in like a funny way. But it's also like it is definitely an American movie and not an Italian movie. And they're using these actors making great monologues. And like, not a lot of it is at the expense of, I mean, some of it is, but not a lot of it is at the expense of the Mexicans, um, which is like a highlight a hallmark of the, uh, the Clint Eastwood day. So it's like, it's, it's this perfect marriage between the the original Hollywood Western and the, and the, and the Italian, you know, the spaghetti Westerns of of the later color era. Um, and that's truly why I think it's so good and why it stands up so well is that it's just a little bit messy. Right. But like in a good way, yeah, no,
0: I mean, there, there are definitely touches of imperfection in this movie, um, like, both in, like, it, it's sort of plot, you know, how it trots along, uh, but also, like, uh, how it was shot. So, there's there's uh, the scene where he confronts uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character uh, at the Pharaoh table. Right. Is one of the, the the parts that makes me laugh every time, not because of the scene itself, but because you can tell that something uh, film was inserted into the scene uh, where it wasn't originally there. So if you watch the the movie, you know, he's, he's smacking Billy Bob Thornton around He says, I said, throw down boy. And, uh, but earlier than that, he, he goes to, to pull his gun. He says, go ahead, skin it, skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. But that piece of a film, you'll go back after this and watch it. It's literally like spliced into the scene. Right and And then it cuts really quick back to to Billy Bob Thornton's face, and you're like, "Wait, it, am i am I like hallucinating? Did that just happen? So it, it's like it's like it's so funny to me. It's like I didn't realize this probably for uh, probably two or three years ago. I, I finally saw it and was like, "Oh wow, I wonder what happened there. like what what was the scene supposed to be before? Um, but it was just I, I think a, a sound bite that they had, and they were just like, oh it go- goes well right here in this part of the scene right.
1: Well and it's like it's wild because that scene Wyatt Earp comes up to him and just says some absolute nonsense right like it's very jargon like he says this you know skin that smoke wagon it's like you're yeah. t- you're saying nonsense like like absolute garbage words right here but the rest of the movie it- is these like wonderful eloquent sentences you know they quote the bible all the time and like in multiple languages and have like an interpretation error there. And it's like these beautiful written lines, and then all of a sudden in this scene in the bar, Wyatt Earp's just like, it, kid you me, I'm gonna slap you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? And then the funny part is that he throws him
0: out and he comes he comes to confront him. And then like no one believes that he's Wyatt Earp in the entire like the, the entire beginning of the film.
1: Until Doc Holliday packs him up, yeah.
0: It, he, but he doesn't even say his last name, he just says Wyatt. Morgan, Virgil. And the guy's like, why at Earth? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. I guess I should be scared of you now, even though you just slapped me around, made me bleed and then threw me out of my own, you know, job.
1: And I love that. we never talk about what any of them did prior, right? Like we don't talk about any of their other exploits hardly at all in this movie.
0: Yeah. You get just enough background to, everything and everyone in this film that it it makes it um, it makes it work. Like in today, like look at something like, I don't know, you can even talk about the DCEU or the MCU, for example, you can't just have a single installment where it just, is like it just maybe justice league i justice league is the best is the best example i can find of this they introduce new characters but they introduce you and not the snyder cut but the theatrical release when it was released it relied mostly on introducing a character and saying this is as much as you need to know about the character right if you went along with that you're like okay i had a good enough time um, and that would never work for something like an installment of the MCU, for example, because every character has to have a, a begin, a beginning, a motivation to be, you know, the person that they are, or a, um, a continuation of a storyline that happened previous. Um, and in this movie, you know, it, it relied on, okay, these are the Cowboys here, are their motivation. Here's why Earp. he's doing this doc Holly. He's we doing a good-
1: that. We get a good intro on the Cowboys, right? We get a good intro scene with them. We get none of Doc. I mean, Doc's. We get a little bit of Doc's backstory. We get none of Wyatt's backstory. Like, if you make this movie tomorrow, this movie starts with 20 minutes of Wyatt Earp backstory of like a young Wyatt as a sheriff in this town or whatever, doing whatever he did. Right. Absolutely. Like, like that's how this movie starts today. And that's garbage. Yeah, you get you get twenty minutes of that, and
0: then you release this film, and within two weeks after its success, there are rumors you, you that- you greenlight that pre- the prequel. Yeah, yeah, you greenlight the prequel in development with Adam Driver as as
1: Wyatt. Yeah, that's called yeah. Wyatt.
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: <laughs> or or
0: Wyatt Russell is in the role because you know it's quite on the nose, but apparently he was named after Wyatt Earp.
1: Uh, oh, he'd be
0: so good at it too. Uh, Dang. You know, when I was when I was watching Falcon Winter Soldier there were p- times where he would say something. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's his father. Like that's spitting. Not only is he spitting image of his father, yeah, but he also reacts to like
1: the, to scripts like his father. Oh wait, hang on. Wyatt it. Russell's Kurt Russell's kid. There you go. Oh my God. I learned this, this minute. Yes. And apparently his name was
0: Wyatt because of his time. working. Wow. That's Tombstone. wild. Yeah. I, yeah, that's that's sort of nuts, too. But um, I learned that recently as well. Yes.
1: Well, dang. Now I want this wider prequel with Wyatt. Russell. That's cool. I want that to happen now. And uh, apparently all the mustaches were real. So yes. um, I, I know that yes. he's got
0: the beard going on. Wyatt Russell does. But um, I'm sure he could do the do the, the mustache really sure, well.
1: Yeah. The mustaches no. are great. I mean, they, they're their own characters, especially Doc's. Like, well, and especially in this
0: film, too, because everyone's got this legit, you know, like facial hair, like every character, you know, has got some degree, Um, unless you're like young, like a lot of the characters who were young in the film didn't have facial hair.
1: Billy Zane didn't have facial hair when he showed up as a 12-year-old theater actor. Yeah. (laughs) Billy
0: Zane, um, Thomas Hayden Church, who, surprisingly enough, this was his first uh like movie credit that's crazy like he this was his this was his like introduction to movies oh yeah like if you go to the wikipedia page that's of Billy s- like movies and night yeah if you if you go to the um wikipedia page for nineteen ninety three movies it gives you the highest grossing films notable films of 1993, and then it'll also give you like um act, like people's acting debuts right like El- Ellen DeGeneres and coneheads. <laughs> Like, things like that. I mean, uh, I know um, Jennifer Aniston made her film debut that year, um, but Thomas Hayden Church, um, who many listeners, um, if they were not old enough to, to be alive in the, the 90s um, or early 2000s, but he was uh, in Spider-Man 3. He was the teacher from Easy A. Um, he- See,
1: I, the first place I saw him was in George of the Jungle.
0: Oh, he was in George of the Jungle. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. What a Lyle good Vandegroot!
1: Film. He was like the, uh, the, the like rich the villain, guy from New right? York. Yeah. The villain. Oh and, yes. That was such a good movie for like,
0: like six year old, seven year old, eight year old me. Oh yeah. Same. That was like one of my favorite movies for a while. Like I, that, that's what I don't understand. Like, like Brendan Fraser was in the mummy. He was an Encino man. And he was in uh, George of the Jungle, like three drastically different films.
1: Well, and he and was in, he, and he's been in all kinds of, but he was, that was his like heyday. Yes. Cause like, he was in uh, like Blast from the Past and around that, all those things around the, that same time.
0: What's the one, t- Center of the Earth was, was,
1: yeah, was that the movie? that was later
0: on. Yeah. He was in that, he was in Bedazzled, uh, where he like got wishes uh, and he had to like, he had to like live out his life based on the wish that he made. Uh, like he made a deal with the devil and the, the, the devil was the woman from, uh, from Austin Powers one. I forget her name.
1: Yes. I know. What you're um,
0: about uh, and then. And Oh man, he was in one other thing that was like big, but, but yeah. So like, it, it's, it's, um, it's kind of weird because some of these actors are, are very much like, um, are very much like Brendan Fraser, where like you don't see them because that's their heyday. Um, but some of them, um, actually, I would say most of the A like A list guys, guys and gals, and maybe even the high Bs, are all people that are in uh, like have influenced classic movies or are in modern day movies. So take for instance, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell and, um, uh, Norman Reedus, Norman Reedus. No, that's not the right, that's the wrong guy. That's the, that's, um,
1: Norman that's, Reedus is from walking dead.
0: <laughs> yes. But, um, was, was he Daryl? I'm talking about Merle. The guy who plays Merle from oh, walking um, dead was McMasters in this film. And he played Yondu in, um, and guardians of the galaxy 2 along with, Kurt Russell, who played Diego you hadn't
1: asked for the name. I would have been able to tell you, hang on a second, Michael Rooker. Yeah.
0: Michael Rooker. Yeah. So My- Michael Rooker and, you know, Kurt Russell or Val Kilmer, um, you know, to- of Top Gun and Batman fame, uh, Sam Elliott, uh, he was in Sam Elliott. Um, I would
1: say is one of the most prominent and prolific C-list actors
0: ever, ever. Like, I mean, in his most recent work, I've got to say has got to be, Really cool. He was in Grace and Frankie. He was in yeah. Star is Born. Oh, he was in, um, oh, oh, the Netflix one was Aston Kutcher. Um, The Ranch. Yes. Which I don't know. It's not like, it's not like top tier material, but if you're looking for something that's just silly and fun and like complicated and you still enjoy a laugh track... Like that is the like the show to watch. It reminded me a lot of my dad, like my relationship with my father. Um, at times, um, I can't recommend the ranch enough. Although it goes off the rails, though, after Danny Masterson's sort of unfortunate demise. Right. right. Um, but uh, um, and I say unfortunate, and it's unfortunate that it came that, that things yeah, that it, like it that has, happened.
1: Yes, that it yeah. happened and that it has ruined so many great things. Um, Correct. Um, But
0: it it sort of fell off the the rails there, but it's very good.
1: And never count anybody that was in this movie out. Thomas Hayden Church put in his absolute best performance of his entire life in 2019. In that show, Divorce? No, in the Peanut Butter Falcon. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, James, man, he plays the uh, he plays this like washed up wrestler. Oh, made me made me cry like a little child. He did. I'll have to I'll have to watch oh, that. Yeah, gotta, I saw that was on his movie credits. You got to go watch that. That is that movie is incredible.
0: Yeah. Bill, Bill Paxton, you know, was in
1: so many classic
0: films. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. He, he, you know, his, is passing, he was born in 1955. So he's the age of, you know, someone like my father, for example. Um, but I saw him last in the circle with, um, with Emma Watson. It was based on the book of the same name. Um, apparently did not end the same way as the book did. So (laughs) anyone who, uh, is, uh, very, um, uh, like gung-ho and having those books, you know, in the, their film adaptations match the books. I I don't, I, I would tread lightly there when it comes right. to the circle. Um, but Bill Paxton was in so many movies. Um, the, the actor who played Johnny Ringo was in aliens, uh, most recently featured in the Mandalorian in the episode with uh, Ahsoka. Um,
1: oh, this is, this is Michael Bain? Uh,
0: yes. Yeah. Cause
1: he was in, he was in nothing after tombstone that was worth talking about prior to the Mandalorian. Um, he was in Aliens, wasn't he? Yeah, in 86.
0: Oh, well, yes. Okay, so 86 is... Okay. Yeah. You have made your point there, sir. Yeah.
1: Michael it's Rooker. Like,
0: um, oh, and then even... Even yeah, lot- like
1: Charlton Heston,
0: um, who was of Planet of the Apes fame, also... Yes, the Ten uh, Commandments.
1: <laughs> one of the biggest movie stars to ever live. Yes, James. Yeah,
0: Ten, Ten Commandments. Uh, a real nobody the, prior to this movie. <laughs> formerly the head of the NRA, you know, Charlton Heston. Yes, Um. um, So it's got quite uh, the cast for sure, and I think that's one of those things too. Like having an ensemble cast like that, where yes, Val Kilmer and and uh, Kurt Russell both sort of stole the show. But I I can't think of like a single person I would look at and be like, "Oh man, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for them, you know, maybe this would have fallen apart." Like this was truly like a team effort that like made this entire film work.
1: Right. Well, I think this is the last thing Robert Mitchum ever did as well, was to be the narrator in this movie. Apparently, he was supposed to be in the movie, and he fell off a horse and injured himself,
0: and so they recast him as a narrator. Yeah, that's what I read.
1: Well, he was only in hundreds of movies. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean,
0: like that's—it's just crazy to me that uh, this movie, this movie, shouldn't have been made. Like after what I've read.
1: Oh yeah, it, no, the fact that the fact that it came out at all is a miracle, but to be so good, to be so pervasive in in the in the canon of westerns as well, like it's it's just insane. Um Yeah,
0: and it's it's got like a seventy six, you know, percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I mean for a cult classic like a lot of cult classics can be like a really big miss as far as like being critically sure. Yeah. So for it to be like a 76 and then to look at the audience score and be almost universally loved by people, you know, for every nine people that, that loved it, one person didn't, I think that's sort of an amazing accomplishment and especially something that lasts over time like this.
1: Right. That It it gets, it it almost seems like more and more every year that people are like, yo, we got to go back and talk about this. But I mean, that's, that's the truth of any cult classic movie, right? Is they never really caught on. And this caught on more than most did. It know, actually caught day. on
0: way better than Wyatt Earp, the Kevin Costner film uh, that came out within six months. Right. And it did not receive the same critical acclaim. Right. Well. Even at the time. So you know, it's
1: like. They made that Steve Jobs movie with Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> and then like. And then turned out of Michael Fassbender, Fassbender was like, hang on.
0: <laughs> I'm going to do this. Let's let me do this Jobs thing.
1: And I maintain that the the main thing wrong with that that Jobs movie that Ashton Kutcher was in is that nobody realizes, nobody looks up what young Steve Jobs looks like, right? And that's the problem, is that he looks exactly like or looked exactly like Ashton Kutcher. So like Ashton Kutcher in that movie just looked like Ashton Kutcher being the founder N- of Apple. Right, there was no there was no sell to that, right? Like because he wasn't he didn't wear the turtlenecks and have the beard and the baldness or anything. But then you go and look at like Steve Jobs in the eighties or whatever in the nineties, and he looks exactly like Ashton Kutcher with the beard. That's funny. That's so funny. And so that just it ruins the movie without even meaning to, right? Because they did exactly what they had to do, which was get the guy that looks like. Sell me this pen. Oh, you want pens? I got pens. Uh, This is my favorite pen in the whole world. It's blue for those of you who are not watching. The, for those of you who aren't watching the video, uh, imagine a blue pen that's like blue on the outside, but writes black when you write with it. This is the Baron Fick Squire pen that I bought a few months ago, and this is my favorite pen I've ever owned in my life. It's from today's sponsor of this podcast, but like they didn't give this to me. I bought this because I love this pen so freaking much. Uh, Tyler and I are both huge proponents of having a great pen and great writing utensil. And like a great story starts with, you know, they say with, with guitars, they say tone starts in the fingers. A great story starts in the pen. You got to have a great pen. So what I want you to do is go in the link in the description of this podcast. There's a link down there, and it's going to get you $10 off your first purchase at Baron Fig on us. They make pens. They make journals. They make notebooks. They make sketchbooks. They make all kinds of little creative paper-based endeavors, things that allow you to create things on paper, they're the best company for this. The journals are fantastic. The pens, obviously, like I said, best, best pen ever. It's just so nice to touch it. It's like a nice, like a BMW of pens. I love this pen, and I have the opportunity to sell you this pen, just like Jordan Belfort said. So, I'm going to tell you, buy this pen. You can't write your name without a pen. So, go in the description of this podcast, go in the show notes. And buy one of these pens. This is the Squire in Slate Blue. The Squire Classic now it is called. In Slate Blue, buy this pen. Send me, tag me at Wow well Now on Twitter at Ed Show Photos on Instagram. Pictures of you with this pen you bought because it's the best pen. Show me what you write with it. Create great things. Buy this pen.
0: It's it's and it's also it's similarly, it's like the 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 people that play in movies that just play themselves. So like every Tracy Morgan movie, for instance, is just Tracy Morgan in the role of X, but you might as well just rename the character Tracy Morgan and just suspend all disbelief. Like Tracy Morgan is in coming to America too. And he's actually the uncle of, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy's, you know, love, you know, love child or whatever it was, um, which I thought was very funny. People should watch coming to America too. Um, I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's also, it's coming,
1: coming letter or coming number two America.
0: Yes. Yes. No, it's, it, I enjoyed it. We'll have to talk about it after you saw it. But, um, but, sure. um, it's, it's, it was, it, it hit all the right notes for me. Absolutely. Uh, the, the one thing, um, there are two things I wanted to talk about. Um, one, one thing that was really quick though, was that, um, we, we talked about things being janky. Um, and I talked, I gave you the example of like, how it was like sort of that scene was sort of spliced together, but right. it, have you ever noticed, um, after Morgan Earp's death, uh, Wyatt Earp walks in, in into the middle of, of the road in the rain. Yeah. And if you're watching the scene, it's literally raining right there in the middle of the street. But if you look just down the street,
1: it's not it's rain. It's only raining on top of Wyatt. Yeah. It's and, only and raining on top of him. They, they pull to the wide shot and it's extremely obvious. Yeah, it's super dry on the far
0: end of town. Right. And, and you can literally see the stage manager go, and cue Josephine. She runs in yeah. and they go, don't you see? Like, leave me alone. And she's like, <laughs> and goes, says, get away from me. And she runs away. And they do a turn towards the Crystal Palace, which is, you know, sort of towards where um right. the bar that he just left. And down the alleyway between the two <laughs> saloons is a street that's bone dry. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I I literally look at that scene and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to, it's supposed to hit this climax of the scene. He's wiping blood on him. And I'm literally in the corner
1: rolling in laughter because it's not raining at the far end of town. I, I, that doesn't take me out of it though, because I came up on Westerns, right? Like I've seen so many that, that it feels to me like an homage instead of a mistake, right? Like.
0: No, I don't feel like it was a mistake. I feel like it was—it's just a product of being made in the early 1990s, right? Like they're they're
1: like—that's not what I mean, Bill. Because they clearly have the capacity to make things rain properly in the 90s, right? Like this came out. This is this is being filmed basically the same time as Titanic. Okay, you know, like and that movie's obviously this is being filmed at the same time as Jurassic Park. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Special effects that that hold up perfectly to this day. That's very Um, true. No, future, so I, and I always felt like there was a lot of of direct choices to sort of follow the and again this is why I think that it it stands up like that and why it doesn't feel so so polished and so Hollywood is because I feel like these were direct choices made on purpose to be reminiscent of older Westerns especially with how clued in people like Kurt Russell were to to previous Westerns and interpretations of these stories is like it felt completely normal to me watching the actual movies that where they couldn't afford to make, where they had to rain right on top of the camera, right? Because they couldn't afford to make it rain everywhere else, or they had to wait for it to rain to do the movie or whatever, you know?
0: Right. Or like, or I sent you um, actually a, a video from now this, um, I believe it was now this, it could have been something different, but it was about 1917. Uh, Cause I know that you guys covered it last week. Yes. And they were talking about it in this snippet uh, about talking about how it was a continuous take how if the clouds were out, they couldn't shoot or vice versa. So they had to literally wait during the day for part, like the sun to come out in order to continue the shot. Right. Um, So it's, uh, it's, it's funny how sort of these things happen. Like at one scene, it's like thundering and lightning. And like um, they they said, part of, part of it, like when you're inside, I think they said that, that was all manufactured by machines, by like, by a, a lightning machine. Right but When they're shooting the stuff outside, that's all real, yeah, so it's it's funny that the like you said, the choices that they had to make in order to you know sort of either simulate or to gain the effect of what it was like to be living in this hot western right. town, yeah,
1: and that's the thing is but, it always it always felt like gaining the effect to me, like even in the scene where Morgan dies when he like is he gets shot in the back while he's playing pool. And just like falls over in real time. Like it felt so much like old gunfighter movies to me. Yeah. They were very very, much just like going for a thing instead of just trying to be like, okay, let's, let's make the best movie we can. It's like, no, let's make the right movie kind of thing.
0: You know, definitely had some Zack Snyder slow-mo action going on. Yeah. um in in those scenes um although i would say it's vice versa he got you know inspiration from the slow-mo but uh no i i, God, I agree slow-mo pre-2000
1: like, pre-digital cameras was so bad man like <laughs> old know, slow-mo when they're just but like I yeah get- let's let's run it at 60 frames per second but we you know shot it whatever like you know we don't have the film for this right like it doesn't work like that <laughs>
0: But I I agree like they made they made choices based on what they wanted to to get across and sort of how these movies were, you know, influenced their the style that they were sort of going for. Um, I, I I can't speak highly enough of this movie. Like and like you said, there are moments where it's not perfect. It's not polished. It's not this. But because we are expanding on parts of the folklore of these characters. We're not looking to to tell their life story right. in a way that sort of goes paragraph by paragraph. We're looking to expand, uh, you know, what we know about the folklore of these characters and sort of their sort of cultural impacts as they, you know, reverberated to the country. I mean, the, the fight at the O.K. Corral wasn't even known about until the early 1900s, like 1920s. Sure. It, And so it was one of those things that like had to be written down and had to be told to people. So the fact that we are sort of interpreting these characters based on what we know about them personally, but also what we know about their reputations, um, it's really sort of fantastic. And it it, it plays into the imagination of, uh, of the genre, you know, like, or they're sort of it plays, the genre plays into our imagination, excuse me, where, you know the the Wild West was a, a land of possibilities, and it's all based on this word of mouth telling and retelling of stories, and about how big these characters were—not just in real life, but it's sort of popular culture. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Very similar to what I think um, we're starting to see now uh, with uh, superhero movies. Okay. Um, I think that. Tell me about that. Well, I, I've always, I've always said that the the MCU, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Disney. Which, by the way, Disney owns the distributing rights now to Tombstone. <laughs> Do they? I went to to, to like look on uh, my cable um, uh, subscription to see like, hey, is this offered by any channel I can watch it for free? And it wasn't, but it said three ninety nine Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> So I nice. think Disney. I think Disney acquired the distribution rights of Tombstone in the 20th Century Fox deal. They had to have. Um, I haven't looked that up yet. Nope. But um, nope.
1: They originally distributed it. Really? Yep. It was originally distributed by Buena Vista Pictures, which is uh, which is Disney.
0: I had no idea. Yep. You learn something new every day. That's not something I looked up beforehand. That was I had intended to.
1: Nope. But 100 is uh, yeah. Was originally a Walt Disney.
0: Yeah. Great. So Josephine's a Disney princess. Bet. I'll take that. Um,
1: no. I would say um, Doc Holliday is a Disney princess before anybody.
0: Yeah. Talk about, talk about like the anti hero. He's like, it, it just an interesting, interesting one to look at. But um, no, the, um, I've always I've always sort of said time and time again that the Marvel Cinematic Universe what they've done really good job of is two things. One, they do a really great job of not making the same movie twice. Sure. Um, so, like, take for instance the Captain America tr- tr- trilogy, so to speak. You've got uh, the first one, which is a um, uh, uh, sort of fictional, uh, historical fiction. Uh, the second one, which is this like. By spy movie action spy movie the third one is the sort of characteristic superhero film that was that is what i think was their litmus test for if we can do infinity war in Endgame very well so i i can say that they probably made the three of the same movie in that regard but even then um the the russo brothers described infinity war as a um as a heist film um uh, which I, I agree with. I agree with their assessment on that. Um, but Wait, not uh, endgame. No, endgame. The, the with this sort of time travel element, I, I see what you're what you're getting at there. But I, I I I didn't see them describe endgame as that fair. Um, but like I said, like they they have done a very good job of sort of taking the superhero movie and then like extrapolating another genre on top of it uh, the Spider-Man movies, you know, the fact that those are, you know, like high school, high school coming of age stories at times are, are, is really fascinating. But all of this is to say that like what they've done a really good job of is doing that, but they've also done a really great job of, of expanding, um, uh, the bounds of what's possible and all using the, um, all using these, um, characters and the folklore that has been created throughout the comics. Um, and using them to sort of continue to expand what's possible in uh, the movies, and now in television. Sure. Um, and I know that you feel that very, very similarly about Star Wars, though.
1: I do. Yeah. I I think um, not even so much in the in the folklore or the characters aspect, but just in like Star Wars basically hits the same plots constantly, especially in the Mandalorian. It's like you have, you know, they 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 might not be. Uh, Native Americans are Mexicans, but it's the same stories, right? Like it's exactly the same. It's all built on these just these stories of the westward expansion, of the Wild West, of you know, this this post Civil War America is is directly especially in the Mandalorian, it's directly where these these stories come from of the the this otherness, this like you know, this ragtag sort of guy from the sticks that makes it to be the hero. Kind of thing, um,
0: yeah i I see that so much, and it's and there's so many direct like like references to westerns. You know, most recently, Kara Dune was the you know sheriff of basically her 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 province or whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, working together with local law enforcement to on a larger mission. Um, very similar in Tombstone, where you know they're locals, but then they have to turn to federal agents to be able to to um, you know, protect the, the the people and to sort of get retribution for things that happened. Um, but t- both of these things hit very different um, sort of things. Whereas, you know, you were saying the Mandalorian quite literally it's whether it's, it's aliens, but right. it's, it's sort of the same themes. And I feel like, well, season these- two,
1: episode one's called the Marshall. Yes. <laughs>
0: but with, <laughs> they're not exactly with-
1: hiding it in the Mandalorian's.
0: No, absolutely not. But then when it comes to the MCU and these superhero movies, what I, I think is what they have done is they take, um, they're taking space and, uh, you know, this sort of, um, uh, greater than, than, um, you know, you know, the things that are greater than ourselves sort of aspect of, of the comic book folklore. And they are sort of pushing the bounds of what's possible and like expanding what, um, you know, our, our, our imaginations can sort of, um, think up, you know, as we continue to wait for these films to come out and these TV shows to come out. Um, and all the while, um, they're, they're playing around with genres that are, have never really been attributed to superhero films. Meanwhile, the Mandalorian is like, well, we're going to stick to what we know. We have a universe that we've actually been very successful in sort of taking the Western themes, uh, and sort of, taking Colt 45s and turning them into lasers. Uh, Right. And And then we've, yeah. And we've suddenly been able to do it very successfully for, you know, decades. So we're going to continue to do that in the
1: Mandalorian in a smaller scale. And it's very successful. Well, yeah, there, there's the only difference between, between the Mandalorian and every John Wayne movie is space basically. And John Wayne and John Wayne. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You need, you need an actor who literally, seriously, it's, it. we're going back to the Tracy Morgan comparison. John Wayne was literally John Wayne in every film. He just had a different name based on what the film was. And he just played the same character. Sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But I mean, th- he's one of the guys that the, the sense that the Western was based around sort of, you know? And I think I read somewhere that John Wayne briefly met Wyatt Earp. I may be making Probably. that up. Wyatt Earp was died in like 1931. So like it's yeah. not at all impossible,
0: but it's it's just I, like the gap
1: between I, between Wyatt Earp and Captain America was like five years or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Steve Rogers <laughs> would have met Wyatt Earp. That would have been a really cool sort of thing that they could have done. No, I
1: mean in, in real life, like between the existence of Wyatt Earp and the existence of Captain America.
0: Oh, like the like com- the like the comic, like the comic
1: being written. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I, I that's that's what I that's what I really love about like making these comparisons is that like, you know, so much of, of the, the folklore of these people were word of mouth and they're, um, so we're, we're sort of relying on their reputations to sort of interpret these characters. (laughs) Meanwhile, in modern day, everything is written down that we're, you know, sort of referencing. So whether you're talking about the DCEU or the MCU, um, or even star Wars, I mean, if you look at the the, the new trilogy, um, where we're sort of interpreting and reinterpreting characters based on what's been written down, that's a huge difference, I think, because you can you know you can play um, Wyatt Earp so many different ways, but right. so many the, so many people get stuck um, in the characters that have been written down um, and you know, feel that they are less successful because they don't stick to the script, so to speak, which is the original material.
1: And I think that's a hallmark of this whole, like, last 15 years of movies, is that, like, it's all the same stories to some extent. Like, I mean, the entire MCU has existed between now and then, but it's like, you know, people complain about, oh, there's so many remakes, there's so many sequels, and, like, even the, air quote, original movies that came out that come out just a lot of them feel like they're part of some sort of not cinematic universe but like like they're just trying to tell the same stories over and over again like nothing original feels like it sells right now to the point right. where even where, where Disney will do something like the Mandalorian or like WandaVision and be like oh my god this is so original and it's like it's it, it is the way they're doing it is I guess but the it's still characters that you care about right like there's, right. there's no risk here
0: yeah, you you already you have already bought into you've already bought into the series before it was even made. I mean, we have been going on an adventure with Wanda Maximoff for several movies now. We know her just because she's now being um, featured in a television series that you know is sort of derivative of the sitcoms of the 1950s, 60s, 70s um, doesn't change the fact that we care about Wanda Maximoff and that we're still telling her story right or
1: that we care about sitcoms <laughs> well
0: but sitcoms have changed so much too like i thought that sure. was a really cool a really cool thing that they Um, We're able to do um, and sort of play up in this series.
1: I I 100% agree, but it's not exactly like people are being like, oh man, like, like Modern Family, that show sucked. I hate that. I'm so mad they made an episode that was reminiscent of Modern Family in the Office, right? It's like, that's still a sell. There's there's nothing, there's nothing risky about that show. I'm not saying everything that you need to take a risk, but it's like, it's still, it's not, it's all derivative. Right. You know, and,
0: but even Tombstone. I mean, if you look at Tombstone, how many (coughs) stories have been told about Wyatt Earp? In the past, oh, in fact, it, within six months, they had another story about Wyatt Earp that came out well, shortly afterwards yeah, with and a
1: they're, A-list celebrity. They're borrowing from seventy years of Hollywood westerns, right? Like it's it's not any different. Um,
0: yeah, I feel like we're just recycling the problem. Like the problem has just been recycled over and over again. And sure. when when you find something that you know may have been influenced, you know, um, or something that is you know. I don't know I'm, I'm trying to think of a, uh, I'm trying not to be so on the nose But I feel like that's why Diversity in film has become not, not just a hot button Issue because it's sorely Needed but also you're getting Some quality material out of this In ways that Like hasn't been featured before I mean like the fact yeah. that like Parasite like I-, I can't imagine That being made Any other way in the United States Um, I'm looking forward to films like Minari, for instance, because it's, we're able to tell stories that are so unlike ourselves. I mean, and that's what made black Panther. So um, incredibly successful was because it took a story about, you know, uh, an African King, uh, you know, and elevated the story beyond just, you know, you know, black characters being gangsters and black characters being stereotypical slaves or this or that, or the other thing. Um, and I feel like you can do that in these polished Hollywood films like Black Panther, but you can also do it in a in a movie like um, oh, what's the one with um uh, with um on Netflix with with uh, Heimdall and the kid from Stranger Things. It's not Urban Cowboy. It's about the the horses in Philadelphia. But I mean, you get huh? what I'm saying, like. Have you not seen it? No, what is this? Yo, okay, so I'm going to pause here for a second. All right, we're going to talk about... Oh, what was it on? Where's my Netflix app on this phone? With Idris Elba? Yes, Idris Elba. Found Netflix. It's called... Hold on. Netflix. Doo-doo. There's my profile. Continue Home. Idris... It's called Concrete Cowboy. It was made, uh, it's with him and Caleb McLaughlin, the kid from Stranger Things.
1: It's about, um, yeah, that is not at all the kid from Stranger Things. I thought you were going to talk about when you said kid no, from Stranger Things.
0: No, it's apparently, so the, <laughs> oh, the, the description yeah. of it is sent to live with his estranged father for the summer. A rebellious teen finds kinship in a tight knit Philadelphia community of black cowboys. And it's a based on a true story of like what? Concrete Cowboys what? about a, neighborhood of, of, oh, of man. black folks that have horses in the city. Like it's, it's, uh, it looks really cool. And Caleb McLaughlin, I, I met him, I was an intern at the Glimmerglass festival in 2012. And sure. he was in a production of lost in the stars. It's based on uh, cry, the beloved country, um, about an African priest during apartheid
1: yeah
0: uh, and his relationship with his son. And, um, he was uh, a young boy in that film, or in, in that in that opera, and so I met him briefly. He was about to go on to Broadway as young Simba, great kid. Went on to Broadway, did the role again at Washington National Opera, did the Stranger Things. Now he's on to this. Apparently, there's rumors that he's going to be the next Static Shock. I mean, like Caleb McLaughlin is like the future of of film, sure. and he's really great. But no, this movie um, I've read. Interest. I, I've seen articles before this about about sort of concrete cowboys in real life, and so it's, it was really cool to see that the film was made.
1: Dang, I did not know that. I
0: gotta watch that. Dang. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that sneaked by in Netflix. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a good one.
1: Man, Cry the beloved country. I watched that James Earl Jones movie back in like school. I think. Yeah. I had not the, thought about I, that piece of of literature in years
0: yeah the 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 musical technically was kurt vile and it's a really interesting (laughs) piece it was um and it's it's i'm sorry did you
1: say kurt vile did a musical based on the the beloved country
0: yeah it was back in it was back (laughs) in the days it was back in the days of of musical theater before there were microphones and before there was this so the advent of like of like amplification um, before that, musical theater and opera were very like close. They weren't they, they were they weren't the same, but I mean, you saw a lot of classical influences and in things like South Pacific and you saw classical influences and in things like West Side Story and like things like that. But so that was before the advent of amplification. So something like Kurt Weill where um you know a a black chorus and black members of your principal cast weren't allowed on stages of the met so they found homes in places like broadway um and so or theater similar to that at least that's how i remember it if someone reads it differently and would like to give me an updated you know version of history that is more accurate than what i'm describing again i'd be happy to hear it um but my understanding of it was that um that's where pieces like lost in the stars found homes was in theaters that weren't like the met where they hadn't been integrated yet. Um, so it's fascinating sort of thing to see, you know, whenever it comes to a opera company near you. Um, but again, those things are rare sometimes because, Companies can't, and especially now in coronavirus, where you know once places are opening up, they're like, okay, well, we're going to do the same old tired versions of M, or yeah. we're going to do this, or we're going to.
1: I, I think you go see Virginia, a lot of white people in Hamilton. Tell you that much.
0: Yeah. Well, the um, Virginia Opera, for instance, is doing uh, a scaled-down Das Rheingold, the Richard Wagner opera, at Top Golf. Here and in Richmond. <laughs> I kid you not, a socially distant experience outdoors. Like at the one Virginia Beach only. Top Golf. Virginia Beach Top Golf and the Richmond Top Golf.
1: Oh my God. I got to go to that.
0: I, <laughs> I have never been more intrigued by a concept in my entire life. I have seen. How do you think concept, old Dick Wagner would feel about that? I think he would be appalled. Um, he was an appalling human being. Maybe um, they could do but, the
1: whole ring cycle next.
0: Uh, you know a top golf ring would be uh would be top notch entertainment i think i think people
1: would just start hitting balls at them at some point i have no
0: idea how they're going to tie in the golf part of it but we'll we'll get there
1: man that's wild who okay so so james bring me back to tombstone what is it about this movie that you love so much that has stuck with you tell me your history with the movie a little bit so well. i mean I, I spoke about this earlier about how everyone literally was introduced
0: to this movie from their parents. Sure. Um, so my parents did, I, I can't remember distinctly, which like in the timeline where it was. Um, but I, I know that I was introduced to it by my, my, my parents. I somehow watched it over and over again. It's one of those movies that was on, that's on television constantly. And so you jump into it and then you finally oh, we have that on VHS, but let's get it on DVD because no one watches VHS anymore. Um, And then you watch it with the family and then suddenly it's your favorite film as a family and it's quotable and your mom's gifting you random, I'm your Huckleberry (laughs) t-shirts and you're buying Funko Pops because they come out. Like, um, I mean, it's literally just one of those things where you don't know how, I I don't know when or how, but it it suddenly came in my life and it's never left.
1: What is that for for all the listeners that are going to ask, going to watch this movie and ask, what the hell does that line mean? I'm your Huckleberry. Um,
0: He says it twice, three times. He says twice, twice. He he says it once when um, uh, don't any of you have the guts to play for blood. And he says, I'm your Huckleberry. Um, and then he says, says uh, Johnny Ringo, he does. Well, that that was Johnny Ringo the first time. And then he says it again to him at the second time. And he says, well, I didn't think you were, you were going to show or you have the guts to show. And he says, I'm your Huckleberry Uh, fights. Not with you holiday. I beg to differ play for blood, something like that. Yeah. Um, the fight was definitely with him that day. (laughs) Yes. Um, but it's and, and it's little things in the film too that just get you every time you know apparently i don't know if this was stated in the film or if it was stated in real life but doc holiday believed that he would die with his boots on that he thought he would be shot yeah or killed or something he didn't think that tuberculosis was going to kill him right so it eventually did um he did his or, best to
1: die in other ways
0: yeah and so he so he dies he says you know oh you know that's funny and he passes away um I, I, I think the, the whole ro- romantic aspect of it is very silly. Um, but it's, it's sort of endearing in its own early nineties way. Um, and especially the end where he says, you know, I have nothing left, no money, nothing to offer you, but I promise you, um, I, I'll love you till I forget the, the exact words, but I, I'll love you till the end of time, essentially. And she's like, that's okay. Why my, my parents are rich. Like, Okay, if we could all be so lucky, <laughs> right? <laughs> they continue to embark on a series of adventures. You know, uh, um, uh, you know the quotability of the film, uh, and, uh, in ways that, like, I'm notorious for like finding things funny, and then like having to tell people why I find them funny, and then it's not sure, no longer yeah. funny to them at all. It's just p- strange. Right, right. So, like, when people will say something to me, I'll just go, "Pardon." Because that was in the scene where he goes, that old dog Trey sounds like old dog Trey to me. And he's like, pardon? You know, yeah. Steven Stinkin' Foster? He's like, no, this sort of was a nocturne. He's like, what? No, You know, Frederick fucking Chopin. <laughs> <laughs> a line that I, I didn't get the first time I watched it. It had to be a couple of times through and it, Because I was a music major, I'm like, oh, I know who Chopin is. Ha <laughs> ha! Like... That's kind of cool um, uh, or nerd um, yeah right or uh, think, <laughs> I got two guns, one for each of you Some
1: um, fantastic one-liners in this movie just constantly. yeah
0: and everyone everyone loves Amy Huckleberry um, I think yes, it's the most iconic line there but like there's so much there's, stuff. there's
1: right at the beginning when when Curly Bill is terrorizing the Mexicans, And the guy's like, go to hell. And he looks and shoots him dead in the face and goes, you first. Oh, yeah.
0: And like, what's cool is that I watched this on Amazon and um, they even for for most of it, probably minus like a couple of lines in the, the conversation in Latin between Ringo and Holiday in the middle of the film, they interpret everything. Like yeah. the subtitles at the bottom, they show you every bit of the conversation. I ran so into this like, from
1: Apple TV and it did the same thing. I, I think that like there were some things that were intentionally left untranslated. They, they, cause like some of the, the Spanish I, was intentionally untranslated because then they had the conversation about what the guy actually said. Well, that was
0: on Amazon. The whole thing was, was yeah. translated for that. Um If you go to IMDB again, if you go to the trivia there, they will detail what they were speaking about in Latin and then why it was significant. Yeah. I forget why, but there is, there's some significance to it and why it was the conversation with the way it did. Um, oh man. Well, I, but I also, I also loved sort of the strange qualities of the film. Like I love the strange lesson we learn about like empathy um, in the very beginning. When, when Wyatt Earp um, is, you first see Wyatt Earp and he goes to confront the the guy handling the horse yeah. And he's smacking the horse around. He just takes the knot, smacks the guy with it, and he says, Hurt's done it. And he's like, now, now leave it and go about your business. You know, like what a strange lesson in empathy to learn like in the first like five minutes of a film. Like, right. oh wow. Like you're teaching us that, you know, horses have feelings too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it definitely tries to make some and there's just some bizarre scenes too. I mean, the whole theater scene is crazy. They they are listening to Dance Macabre and watching the the play or whatever, and it turns out it's this woman the whole time, and like, and he's like su- just
0: super attracted to her, even though she's underneath the lights that's shaded by like a bottle yeah. of whiskey. I was like look out for that part where the guy just looks silly in front of the light. Like, okay, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> Give but you says, a different color light
1: again. That's a great, uh, it's a great holiday line when when she pulls the mask off and does her bow and uh why it's like well I'll be damned and why what does he say uh, he you says, may be uh, if you get lucky
0: yeah <laughs> uh. and he says uh uh in the in the bar they um says something uh, about you know what's a mate maiden or something uh, and he says a maiden the pure as the driven snow I'm sure
1: <laughs> and Morgan's <gets laughs> upset
0: and he's like, it's just Doc style. Like, leave it. We all have that friend that puts something in a context in a way that's like kind of rude and a little bitchy, but just right. like, ah, it's just their style. Like, leave them alone.
1: Sure, sure. You go do something, or you go stand there and bleed. I didn't know you was in town. Where
0: are you going with that shotgun? <laughs> he's gonna go confront the, the man, of course. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we must redefine the nature of our association. Like Speaking of the, the nature interest. of their association,
1: there is uh, uh, a heavy conglomerate of the internet that likes to make uh, fan fiction about Doc and Wyatt.
0: Oh, I, I don't want to know. I'm yeah. not going to go down that rabbit hole. I can only imagine. And uh, being in 2021, I'm sure it's very creative. Yeah.
1: I've read many an article about how how Doc was like one of the original queer icons. <laughs> I mean, Despite- it would make
0: sense. I mean, he's such a flam- flamboyant character in that way. Um, I can see yeah. sort of that playing to parts of that character. Apparently yeah.
1: there's a quote from... Uh- from Wyatt Earp on the subject of Doc Holiday, where he says there was always something peculiar about that Doc Holiday. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is just uh, choice, just choice, the way they used to speak about those things.
0: There always seems to be some sort of like connection about how someone was either like bisexual or or just maybe a closeted gay man in, in a time where like it was not as acceptable to be out. Like for instance, the, the huge uh, Hamilton one where, you know, there's the, the, the connection between Lawrence and Hamilton. Um, right. like that's one that, you know, I think they made like sort of a subtle nod to it. And, you know, I think your pants look hot and it's like, Oh, and it was, everyone was like, yes, that's the, the reference we've been looking for or something. I it was okay. It was one line, but I'm sure that we can go we can go down a huge rabbit hole to sort of continue to learn sort of what these characters um, really were like in, in real life.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of it we will never know because, you know, of just the way things weren't written down back then and, and the way things were written down. You get those reports of like, well, so and so, you know, died this weekend and, and his very good friend that he shared a bed and a bank account with was very upset <laughs>
0: Yeah. That's, that always seems to be like the, the, um, uh, it's, it's the Bert and Ernie effect.
1: Yes. <laughs> God.
0: It's fun. It's funny. I was watching a, a Sesame street, uh, uh, special that was on ABC recently and the, the whole, you know, popular culture revelation that like they wrote, yeah, Bert and Ernie, you're gay. And like the number of people that were like, huh, I would have never guessed that. I'm like, really? <laughs> Yeah, but, it makes sense to me. Where like, have you been? <laughs> so like, it's, it's, it doesn't surprise me when, when revelations like this come out, like, you know, when, when people start to so sort of chronicle people's history and they say, Oh, by the way, here's the stop at, you know, X point in history where they had uh, a love affair with X person. Uh, right. and if that happens to be, you know, someone of the same, you know, sex or gender, um, and then, whoa, you know, like, that makes sense to me. Like, sure. I'm not, I'm not at all, like, you know, thinking that it was manufactured somewhere. It was just It's it just the number of revelations to, that come up. It's like, oh, okay, well, it makes more sense now. <laughs> sort of this right. reference or this quote or.
1: Well, and it's, it's, it's wild how many people will look at, at the amount of people that have, you know, recently come out as, as some sort of uh, one of the, the. LGBTQIA plus you know denominations and they'll look at the past and go like why are there so many more gay people today than there used to be and it's like yeah, I got news for you guys yeah I mean it's 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 interest.
0: it's interesting to me someone made the comparison two comparisons that made so much sense when it came to like um uh sort of the the perspective that people have about, oh, there's so many more trans people or there's so many more openly gay people. And it's like, well, there were so many people that were left-handed um, that were told that they were other and they were disciplined and told that they shouldn't write with their left hand and forced to write with their right hand. So the prevalence of left-handedness came, you know, has risen over the years because it's become more acceptable. Right, because be we're left-handed. no longer telling
1: people that they're wrong. For right. Being left-handed. And,
0: or like the perspective I saw the other day, I was like, well, you know, I don't understand how someone could be trans. It's like, well, you know, these are not the same thing, but they were saying, well, you know, you know how you feel like a blonde and like you you say, I'm really a blonde, but I'm actually a brunette, even though you act like a blonde. And then you, 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 you manufacture your hair to the point where you dye it blonde so it can reflect how you feel on the inside. Like, yeah. You don't know what it's like to be trans, even just a little bit. Yeah, it's I I read something like that. Even though I know that the two are very drastically different, um, you know, different circumstances for sure. Sure. Um, but when it comes to playing up like the empathy towards other people, um, you know, it, that that's what I I sort of I get from these these film experiences from like the early '90s even the early two thousands where or I was even rewatching episodes of house where they would say something and I'd look over and just with a, like gaping, like my, 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 my mouth, like jaw dropped. Like, did they really just say that? Um, things oh, yeah. that were acceptable to say. Yeah. Cuban's been watching Scrubs, like the early seasons of
1: scrubs. And I'm just like, I'll be watching it with her. I'm like how this show didn't get canceled. I don't, I have no yeah. idea. One,
0: one, I love watching major league, but there are things that they say in oh, major man. league where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can I, I, I feel almost embarrassed to watch this movie. Um, but I, I just, I chalk it up to like, well, that was the time. But then I also like have to accept and recognize, well, that's not exactly something that's nice to say, or was, or acceptable to say. Um, it's really interesting. Um, the conversations we're having about some of these films. But when I, when I see a film like this, you know, you know, there's, there's Virgil and the women. They didn't say, Oh, there's Virgil and their wives or Virgil and Maddie. And they didn't list them off. They just lumped them all together. And so there's Virgil and the women. Uh, good God. <laughs> like,
1: I mean, there there's <laughs> this compared to most Westerns, especially earlier ones. This movie is pretty freaking PC. I thought so too.
0: Like I, I, there are subtle nods to like, you know, sort of how dated things were at the time. Um, you know, with, um, Sheriff Behan talking about how he sits on the, um, uh, he's the, the chair of the anti Chinese league. Yeah. Um, and that like not a single person of color can be found in this film until like the Ok corral scene where like you see some, uh, I would say uh, Asian um, uh, folks of like Asian uh, descent that are right. like there because they, are, you know, uh, were working on railroads or whatever circumstance was happening in the West at the time. But like, you, you definitely don't watch this movie for like a it's social justice message no. or uh, inclusivity or any of that stuff. Like, it's not one of those sort of doesn't have any of any of those notes whatsoever. Um, and it's certainly no, dated in some ways, but you're right. Like I, I But it also doesn't is,
1: villainize any groups that way. Like they're not, you know, it's not the, the old school Western of the past where like, you know, the, the, the band of, of enemies are Mexican or Native American or Asian or whatever. You know, it's right? just other white people.
0: And it's not even and it's not even the Civil War aspect too,
1: where we're no, fighting over this nothing, political well reason. Past the political civil war.
0: Yeah. It's not even this political reason. It's, it's a, it's a, we're, we are fighting over basically over money. Literally over money. money and money yeah. and authority. Um, you know, because if your authority goes unchecked, you're suddenly the power broker of this entire you know town. I mean, that's what even what the, what was said earlier in the film, um, you know, uh, you know, Behan he ain't no <clears throat> law. The only real law around here are the Cowboys.
1: Right. I mean, that's a constant, constant theme uh especially in star wars um but yeah across across westerns where just like the law can't do anything it's up to these these vigilantes to stop the other vigilantes (laughs) and i i it's i I feel like what
0: we've continued to do what we're seeing now, what I really love is, are these conversations of like how they're complicated, how they're, it's not just one side against the other. It could be, you know, one side sec, uh, there's no sides really. It's one person, two persons, three persons, four persons, where it's a conflict that sort of has a chain effect and there's no real good or bad people. Um, like take for instance, like Captain America, Civil War, like sure there are two sides, but like they're all influenced by drastically different circumstances in a way that like, you know, you, you really can empathize or sympathize or empathize with, with both sides and see where the conflict arose, but they're characters that you all know and love and you've, it, you've invested time in. And I, I'm really enjoying some of these stories where it's not necessarily clear cut, like who was right, and who was wrong. Or there's Absolutely. not a right and a wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I do like the fact that in Star Wars we have a clear enemy, and we have a clear hero. But you know, it, nothing makes you think more uh, about um, about the roles of the Jedi uh, until you get to the Mandalorian, where the Mandalorian says, you know, you know, I'm supposed to side with uh, you know medieval sorcerers that, um, you know, threaten my people's existence, like, it's, that's pretty cool to sort of go into a gray area and to, to continue to sort of, um, it, it, in, in fact, that gray area did exist, like, apparently there are conflicting um, accounts of just how likable Wyatt Earp was and Wyatt Earp defends his honor throughout his life and his wife did afterwards. But like we don't go into that gray area in these movies like this. We stick to the the, the script when it comes to who's the bad guy and who's not.
1: No, absolutely. Um and, and and that's the thing is that's why I love some of these western stories and why I love movies like Butch Cassidy, right? And and any of the Jesse James stories, any of the Billy the Kid stories is that these There is no, you know, 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 there's no cops, right? It's not law and order. It's just some bastardized version of law that's being carried out by people with no authority against people with no authority. You know, it's all about implied authority, and it's just fascinating to me constantly that, that, like, these are the great stories. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be about the sheriff, about the marshal. It gets to be about just these guys who are just guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, and there at one point in the, in the scene, you know, the Cowboys make themselves very clear that they're getting Ike out of prison. He says, wearing a badge don't make you right. I feel like that, like that's true regardless of, um, of like the, the movie you're watching, you know, and we, we see that time and time again. I mean, like Chicago PD law and order. I mean, there are so many different cop shows where like, um, you know, just because you have a badge doesn't mean the actions that you, um, you know that you carry out are right. necessarily the right thing to do. Um, so um, whether that's accepted by people or not is, you know, that's the big question. I'm not here to litigate that, um, but um, you know, like it's it's fascinating to see out in the wild west. Although I wouldn't I wouldn't see um, I wouldn't say that too loud because coming next summer will be like Dick Wolf. Um, creating, you know, Law and Order, you know, uh, westward expansion or whatever it'll be called, and it'll be about like the the sheriffs of the Old West, and it'll be featured on NBC right after Law and Order sure. SVU. So you better you better watch out. Don't say it too loud.
1: I mean, the networks are always going to make shows that I don't care for, right? Like that that are maybe good, maybe not. They're going to continue to do that forever. It's gonna run. It's
0: gonna run two seasons, and we're gonna find out that Elliot Stabler's great 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 grandfather was a sheriff in california and right. that's you know what it what uh,
1: and they're know, gonna have rob Lowe him. in it somehow
0: yeah and that's what inspired him to become a cop right.
1: <laughs> and they'll get rob low to show up at the super bowl wearing an nfl hat to promote it
0: yeah yeah like although not one is- lone star <laughs> Although that does that does well, actually, my mom watches that show and she absolutely loves nine one one Lone Star. I'm Sure, not, uh, she loves that and she loves the original nine one one. And in fact, they're not terrible like shows. They're no, actually, I'm actually sure they're not. They're fa- they're fairly entertaining. Um, I you know the 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 stuff that's on
1: now. I just don't uh, have time for fairly entertaining anymore. Is the thing like if I'm right. going to sit down and watch a TV show, I need it to be one hundred percent right. Like I need it to be the Falcon, the winter soldier season one, episode four constantly. Oh, it got me at
0: five. Five was when I was like, Oh, I get it now. I get it now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wh- whichever one, like I need it to be Mandalorian season two, episode 10, episode eight, the finale. Uh, yeah. Constantly. Yeah, finale. Like, it has to be 100% or I'm not, I don't have time. I have so many other things to James, I've read 72 books this year. I, the fact that you can, read one book and not
0: based on your own skill level. I mean, just in general, like me having to think about sitting down and reading a book. I, I, I've gotten into video games a lot recently. Yeah. Um, Although that's, that's taken sort of a hiatus because um, I got stuck on MLB, the show 20. And so now I'm like, I'm just playing a lot of baseball for like, no. Oh, that's, that's all I've
1: been doing this year is listening to audiobooks and playing sports games. Yeah, just I just bought been playing. MLB The Show 21 yesterday because my Xbox finally came in. I got the new Xbox
0: Series X. Oh, good X. for you. Good for you. Yeah, I got um, the PS4. This is my first console in like a decade. So I got it in September and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to catch up on all these games I missed, all these stories. And frankly, like that's what I'm enjoying so much more about these games is that the stories are just top notch. Yeah. I've played uh, Marvel's uh, The Spider-Man. I've played uh, the sequel about Miles Morales. Oh,
1: dude, the, the they're fantastic.
0: Uh, well, the first one blew me out 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 of the water, and that was one of the first games I played. So, like, I I couldn't believe it, but, like, God of War, um, uh, oh, man, the Avengers game, the Avengers game, while not the best game as far as, like, gameplay and such, I love the story.
1: I'm, like, a huge con fan You don't have to defend why you like a video game to me. Just go for it. Yeah, I I I bought a new Xbox so I could play the newest version of the sports games. Like, I don't give a crap. Like, I do whatever I want.
0: Oh, I've, I've been stuck on MLB the show 20 and um, I will say this,
1: uh, as far as I've, I've, I've played 21 for one night and 20 is way better. (laughs) Just leave it.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: I'll tell you if that changes, but like so far, uh, 21 kind of sucks.
0: Well, the only thing I miss is the updated rosters because I'm playing, like I'm playing as a team and I'm like, wait a minute, that player doesn't play there anymore. It's like, oh, he played there. Yeah, Uh, that's that's a strange it's it's so strange. Like Trevor Bauer plays for the Cincinnati Reds in that game, but he's now playing for the Dodgers. So so is everybody. It's fine. Well, yeah, unfortunately, Um, but no, I mean, I've got the Final Fantasy remake that I'm trying to play soon. Oh, I played The Last of Us, which I can't wait for to come out on HBO. I'm like, yeah, that's really good. I'm really into, uh, well, first off, I got really tired of playing pandemic-induced, like, apocalypse games, because it was sort of, um, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, But, I mean, and that's why Spider-Man sort of shocked me, because I was in the middle of playing it, and all of a sudden, like, three-quarters of the way, it's like, oh, by the way, there's a pandemic. Oh, great. I'm just reminded constantly of the the circumstances that we're in. Yeah, um, but I mean, just some of these games, God of War, was really fascinating. Um, I played. Oh my gosh, oh man! And now I'm I've, I've I've got a game for the Nintendo Switch that I can't put down. Uh, it was a 2018 game called Hades,
1: and it's yeah, you and everybody else. I'm the only freak, human alive. Freaking phenomenal!
0: Hades. It's it's I'm I'm just. It's I I can't put it down. It's just the, the, the definition of insanity is repeating an action, expecting a different uh, consequence. And yes, I I, I'm clinically insane according to how much I play this game.
1: (laughs) Cause it's just literally the same outcome every time. So, I mean, Hey, whatever works, dude, I've gotten, I've gotten deep into some, some career modes and some sports games before deeper than I'm willing to admit. Like I've carried that through too many seasons before so i'm not one to talk
0: yeah i am but some of these games i mean last of us part one and two i was just talk about talk about a story that um doesn't have a clear hero and a clear villain sure last of us part two was one that i felt did a really great job of turning that on its head and just making you think twice about is what they did. Right. Is what they did. Noble is what they did. What I would have done is what they did. Justified. Um, Video games have been doing a really great job. I feel like in some of these career career modes or not career modes, but um, uh, story modes, I suppose that have just really just sort of blown me out of the water. Really just fantastic.
1: Fair enough. Well, we got to wrap up. Um, I've got a bacon and egg score for this movie. James, our okay, listener score. You gave it a hundred. I gave it a hundred. Our listener score was an 87. Um, that gives I, it a, a totally all told. That gives it a bacon and egg score of a 90, 90.25. I, I think it, that's fair. Makes it our sixth best movie of all time on the, for this year. I think uh, that that's really fair. Like, I, like I said,
0: If nine out of 10 people liked the film and one didn't, I think that that's a fair assessment.
1: It it slots right in between Lord of the Rings, the two towers and Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring.
0: I can't compare those. I mean, that's just, (laughs) that's so silly to me. Like I, I I, I know that you, I know that's what you do on your show. I know that you, you, you sort of put them all on a list uh, and you sort of say, okay, well, this is how they ranked based on the scores that we gave them. Um, I find that to be
1: so challenging and that's that's why you guys do it do what you do. Well and, um, and that's why we started the, the numbers, honestly, is because we used to have conversations like, man, did I like Toy Story Four better than The Dark Knight Rises or better than Get Out? Like <laughs> Who are we, the Hollywood Foreign Press? Do I <laughs> do, do I like Love Simon more than Batman Begins? <laughs> you
0: know? Well, it I mean just, you should like you should like a lot of things more than Batman Begins. Ah
1: uh, no, James! I really like Batman Begins. I like Batman Begins, but nothing will beat the
0: shock and awe of The Dark Knight. The very first time I saw it.
1: Sure. Well, The Dark Knight is four on this list, and Batman Begins is twenty-one. So
0: okay. So uh, that's I, I will. And
1: okay. The Dark Knight is behind. Remember the Titans, The Prestige, and Avengers: Endgame. Interesting. Which I honestly disagree that Avengers: Endgame is better than the than The Dark Knight, but. I, I will agree. I think
0: Dark Knight is better than Endgame, but I will also I also am of the belief that Avengers: Infinity War was the true culmination of 20 years of world building in the MCU, or 10 years of, of world building in the MCU, and not Endgame. They, they marketed it as this was the finale and the culmination of. I said no. The culmination of was the the movie
1: before. And you're just so okay. picking up the pieces of the last one. Well, I I will. I do just want to inform you that uh, Avengers Endgame or Avengers Infinity War was a different year. So, ooh,
0: well that's that is also a fair point. So that's but why they're the, not on
1: the list together is because they are not comparable because they are in two different bacon and eggs years.
0: Uh, okay, I will. I will. I'll concede that point.
1: So we go from October fourth to October fourth.
0: Because that's, our, that's when our fiscal you year your, yeah. years. Great, cool. Yes.
1: So. Avengers Endgame game made it fourth. No third on that year. And infinity war actually ended up eighth. Um, what, what was it? Eighth to, what were the seven films above it? Uh, dead poet society, the force awakens jaws, empire strikes back Thor, Ragnarok, star Wars, A new hope and Monty Python and the Holy grail.
0: Okay. Those are, res- those are all respectable films to put. Like, yeah. That's a
1: wild year list for the year. And honestly, yeah. I think we ended up dropping Holy grail pretty solidly as well as, uh, uh, for Tyler, I think yeah, um, Infinity War definitely comes below. I mean, above Thor Ragnarok now, but I really liked Thor Ragnarok when I saw it, so that definitely boosted it for me. Like that was that was what really reinvigorated me to the to the MCU.
0: Yeah, it was. It, it brought a, a really fresh perspective that I think was needed. And now that we get a second Taika Waititi film, oh, I saw Jojo Rabbit too.
1: What a oh, strange fantastic film! Fantastic a, movie. It was fantastic,
0: but it was strange.
1: Yeah, I mean I wouldn't watch any of his other movies if you thought that was strange. <laughs> I mean, no, you, you have to know what you're gonna get. And I I, I wasn't going to- I would into avoid it, like what know? we do in the shadows if you thought that was strange.
0: <laughs> no, I just thought it was I just thought it was hilarious that he played Hitler. Yeah. And that
1: it was acceptable for him to do so. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I mean At no point is Hitler glorified in that movie. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah.
0: No, I I it was just I I, I watched it upon recommendation. That's, sure. I, that, I don't think so, I would have watched it by myself. It's
1: one of my all-time favorite Sam Rockwell roles, honestly. He was so good in that movie. I can't get over
0: Sam Rockwell in um, uh, Green Mile. I, I'm, he He played such a terrible character there that I, I can't seem to look at Sam Rockwell and think of him the same way.
1: Oh, man. Sam Rockwell is my favorites.
0: Uh, it's like when Jason Bateman played in Juno.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's that's a tough one to, to get past, totally, right?
0: Totally crapped on Elliot Page's character for the entire film. And uh, just, oh gosh. Who
1: cheats on Jennifer Garner?
0: Yeah. Who are you, Ben Affleck? I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah, for real.
1: Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are together and Buying a House in Montana. I <laughs> At I this moment. Just, I just could... I
0: saw it on Facebook and I was like, wait... Like, Benifer is back? Like, when did this happen? Like, yep, I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize that Alex Rodriguez and J-Lo had broken up. I knew that they were, like, on a rocky pack. They yeah. hadn't
1: actually broken up. I guess I missed it this month. I guess I did. I mean, I think it's been, like, literally the last week that anybody found out. Like, I don't know. Anyway, this has been Bacon and Eggs. This is a show where we talk about movies. James, it has been so good catching up with you and talking to, me, talking to you about a movie. Um, thank you so much for being my Tyler this week. Uh, I really appreciate you. No,
0: not a problem. Thank you. I want to thank you and Tyler for the invitation. It's always good to uh, be on Bacon and Eggs. I want to thank your listeners for for listening. Um, I, I know I can ramble a lot, but it's a pleasure to, to actually come into your your devices and to, to talk about a movie that I love. Um, uh, and for all the listeners out there, wear a mask, get vaccinated when you can and, uh, register to vote.
1: Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All right. This is bacon and eggs. Our graphics are by on Brandon, graphite.vmb on Instagram. And our music is by Andrew Scott Bell, Andrew Scott Bell music.com. Bacon and eggs is a proud production of the wb podcast network, um, of which I am an owner. And, uh, so I put my own show on it, but we have lots of great shows that aren't bacon and eggs. If you're looking for, for anything in the, in the realm of podcasts, you got it. But, uh, this week, just because we had a co- really cool episode come out, I'm going to plug the other podcast. I'm on, on the network called late to the party where me and four of my friends play Dungeons and Dragons together. It's a really good time. Uh, we're still in the middle of our one shot arc with, uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan from college humor, and it was a great time. So, uh, you should go listen to that available wherever you get your podcasts and on Spotify. Um, James, any final thoughts? Where can we find you on the internet if we want to see cool tweets by James Swindell?
0: Um, I don't tweet very often, but I do like to retweet. But if you would like to find me on Twitter, I'm at Jim, J-I-M Swindell, S-W-I-N-D-E-L-L. I'm also on Instagram at at, A-T Jim Swindell because uh, just, just Jim Swindell was taken on Instagram and even though I reported him for spam or something to try to get him kicked <laughs> off, he wasn't actually kicked off. So I am at, at AT Jim Swindell there. Perfect. Uh, I'm also on the PlayStation network, Jim Swindell, if you want, or if you want to send me money, you can send me money on Venmo at Jim Swindell. So
1: <laughs> yeah, find, find Jim on the PSN and, and trash his games. It's great. Please, it's good. Please time.
0: don't, unless we want to play Apex. I'm terrible. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Well, all right. Uh, I've been Ethan Etchel. He's been James Swindell. On behalf of Tyler Carlin, this has been Bacon and Eggs. And until next time, Arima Derchi. Adios. There you go. There you go. Bye, Aloha. video. It's been great. <laughs>